I'm Mark Caro, and welcome to episode 52 of Caro Pop, which means we've been doing this podcast for a year. We should have an awesome guest to mark this milestone, and we do. A beach boy, Al Jardine. Jardine is now 80, but still tours with his endless summer band, and his voice sounds great. He was the only original Beach Boy who wasn't a brother or cousin. He was born in Ohio, lived in Rochester, New York, and moved to San Francisco before his family settled in Hawthorne, which is part of the Los Angeles metro area. So he had a different set of influences, including folk music that he brought to this California group. At Hawthorne High, Al befriended and realized he liked singing with Brian Wilson. Soon, the two of them and Brian's brothers, Carl and Dennis, and their cousin, Mike Love, were forming a new harmonies-driven group that became known as the Beach Boys. I asked Jardine what the band might have sounded like had Jan and Dean not paved the way for surf groups. He also explains the key role that his mom played in the band's recording debut. Al sang mostly harmonies in the Beach Boys, but took the lead on some key songs, such as both versions of Help Me Rhonda, with and without the H in Rhonda. Why was that song remade? How did Brian Wilson decide who would sing what on the songs that he wrote? Jardine also had lead vocals on Then I Kissed Her, I Know There's an Answer, Vegetables, and Cotton Fields, among others. When I was a little bitty baby, my mama done rocked me in the cradle. Fields is an example of a folk song that he brought to the group, as also was true of Sloop John B. Then Brian Wilson came up with an elaborate arrangement for Sloop John B. for the brilliant album Pet Sounds. What did Jardine think of how that song came out? What did he think of the prominence of studio musicians on those early recordings? Did he like the setup in which Brian stayed back to work on the albums while the rest of the Beach Boys hit the road? Did Paul McCartney really chomp on celery on the track, Vegetables? How much could the group have benefited from a greater understanding of mental illness at the time Brian was having his breakdowns? Everything changed after Brian Wilson was unable to finish the spectacularly ornate album Smile and retreated musically and emotionally. The music got simpler and the other bandmates, including Jardine, got more involved in the producing and songwriting. Jardine's song, California Saga, California, is one of the standouts on the band's 1973 album Holland and was released as a single. What does Jardine think are the highlights of that period? Which Brian song of the post-Smile era does he call one of those moments of pure genius? When does Jardine think the Beach Boys hit their peak as a band? His answer may surprise you. The Beach Boys eventually splintered with Mike Love taking ownership of the name and getting involved in lawsuits, including with Jardine, over its use. In 2012, surviving Beach Boys Mike Love, Brian Wilson, Al Jardine, Bruce Johnston, and early guitarist David Marks mended fences long enough to embark upon the Beach Boys 50th anniversary reunion tour and to release a new album, That's Why God Made the Radio. But Love soon took the Beach Boys name back for himself, with Johnston still in the fold, and Jardine and Marks toured instead with Brian Wilson, which Jardine still regularly does. Jardine had hoped there'd be a 60th anniversary reunion tour in 2022, but, well, 
You'll have to hear from him why that didn't happen. Instead, Jardine has kept busy touring with Brian and with his own Endless Summer Band, in which his son Matt expertly sings the high Brian parts. I saw their recent show at City Winery Chicago, and it was a wonderfully entertaining combination of music and storytelling. Brian's daughters, Carney and Wendy Wilson, perform with Jardine at some shows as well. Jardine also has a new, slightly old solo album, A Postcard from California, which came out in limited form in 2010, but last month received a broad release from Universal Music and now can be streamed on major platforms. It's a combination of new songs and remakes, with Glenn Campbell guesting on the title track, Neil Young, David Crosby, and Stephen Stills performing on A California Saga, and various Beach Boys, including the late Carl Wilson, making cameos. So Al Jardine has a lot to talk about, and he does so with great humor and a keen eye and ear for details. So listen up to this Carol Pop episode. It may be the best trip you've ever been on. You were born in Ohio and you lived in Rochester and San Francisco before you ended up in Hawthorne. Like, how did that shape you? Yeah, I think it did a little bit. Uh, well, because I, I got, I was always homesick, you know, I was because of being from the Midwest, you go through um, you go through changes like I went through. It's like I'm kind of like an Air Force or an Army brat, you know, where you're constantly moving around uh, from one town to another with new friends. Make always having to make new friends. Always going to a new school, you know. That, that's that's a challenge in itself. And uh, so I was always thinking about, uh, you know, uh, like so folk music for me was a comfort. You know, folk music uh, was my. Uh, original passion and doo-wop music. <laughs> That's what a funny combination, huh? But anyway, the folk, the folk music guys gave me that comfort feeling of, well, someday maybe I'll get back home, you know? It's like so a lot of my music is about going home, a lot of my personal stuff. Right. And uh, it's kinda gives, it kind of gave me a window of opportunity in a way to, to write about things. So, you know, my postcard album is kind of like, like my new home. My reimagined home, you know, like we all, we all actually, America's on the move all the time. We're all on the move, constantly moving west, actually. Um, and so there's always that theme, too, which is in my postcard album. Right. Uh, about moving west. So it, it's just pretty cool. That gave me a different point of view to, to share with the band, because they, they're all born and raised in Los Angeles, you know. So they, they really didn't have any of those kind of experiences. Right. And, and of those original Beach Boys... Uh, you know, you three of them who were brothers, one of them who's a cousin, and then there's you. So I, I don't know if that made you sort of the arbitrator of, you know, when people would disagree or if that sort of felt like. Yep. At some point it was like that. Yeah. I, I was often, they looked to me and, but you know, the, uh, we always, always respected one another and, uh, pretty much if one person felt strongly about something, the rest of us used to, used to, it would generally support that person it was that way for years they'd always you know support each other so that was nice too what was the first point where you realized that your voices just sounded amazing together pretty much instantly you know we just we just sat around the piano and picked out parts for each other you know brian would you know he'd, he'd always have the the high part and uh mike would be the baritone so it was pretty simple 
really. Uh, and Carl and I were just like uh, soulmates, really, on in the harmony department because we were just we just grabbed the part that was most comfortable. And usually, I was the higher, you know, I was more Brian and I were in the higher sopranos and alto soprano. Uh, he was alto, I'd be soprano, I guess. And and Carl was a second soprano, I guess you call it. And then we just worked down the ladder like that. It just just naturally evolved very easily. Dennis Dennis was a little bit different because he wasn't really a natural. At the time, he was more of a an athlete-minded guy. He, he loved to go out and surf and all that. And uh, in fact, he brought the idea to us about that about surfing. But he had a good, excellent ear as well. I mean, all the boys. I mean, together, they, they had a great sound. I thought. Absolutely. Uh, and uh, he was a he was a budding talent, but overshadowed by you know by his brothers really. And so he sometimes would duck out. You know, he would just check out. Every once in a while, and then then it was a quartet. Hmm. So kind of we kind of originally started with a quintet, and it kind of boiled down to a quartet. So he he wasn't in the vocal mix as much, right? Uh, it just got it got pretty complex. It got pretty pretty <laughs> as you know, pretty complicated stuff. And uh, he was you know, he just didn't he was more of an outdoor guy. We were indoor guys basically, right? Introverted and extroverted. Maybe that's a better word. Okay, right. I'd, I'd read that you were the fullback at Hawthorne High and Brian was the backup quarterback. Yeah, no, we were both backups. We were both second rate. Because <laughs> fullbacks are usually kind of big, bruising, blocking guys, and I don't see you as like yeah. this big bruiser. Yeah, no, I wasn't. Well, I was for my size, my age, size. I mean, I was, you know, I was, uh, I was kind of, you know, like uh, muscular, you might say. Yeah. I kind of lost all those muscles, but... but <laughs> My, my singing voice, I, I always loved to sing. Oh, in fact, I met my uh, one of my best friends, Gary Winfrey was, is his name. And he, he taught me how to get down on my stance and did all, all the football moves, you know. And so then, then we formed a folk group together. And then after, the folk, after we graduated, uh, Brian and I formed the Beach Boys together. So it's kind of interesting. Through football, we kind of got to know each other. So you, so you really should have been singing songs about football athletes. instead of surfing then. Yeah, we probably should. Yeah, well, we ended up singing uh, that Be True to Your School. That's true. So that was kind of a, a pretty big moment in our careers. Um, but yeah, was, was surfing was a natural because it was the, the latest dance craze, you know. Well, not dance, but surf craze, sport craze. And Dennis was our, our surf. He was our barometer. He'd go out and check it out, you know, and come back and tell us about it. I was thinking sort of the alternate reality version where, you know, like you don't have Jan and Dean kind of paving the way a bit and, you know, just the surfing thing. And like, what would the Beach Boys have been if there was like kind of no Jan and Dean and no surfing? Like, like would you still existed, but just sort of gone in these other directions? Like, I don't know if it's possible to even figure that out. Well, we would have gone into the four freshmen, uh, the, the jazz harmony thing, because we were, uh, we were really... Uh seen uh, uh, four freshman style stuff and we probably would have right. stayed in that thing and done the high lows four freshman that kind of stuff and then at some point you would have been inspired by rock and roll and the Beatles and all of that anyway um, I would imagine well, we, uh, might have, and we might have entered it we might have done some doo-wop but no Jan and Dean Jan Berry uh, set the t- template for uh, for Mike Mike's baritone stuff he was uh, Mike was really our Jan Berry Right. And, uh, he could, he could, you know, bump, bump, dip, 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 and all that stuff. 
you know, so it, it kind of worked for us. Your mom had a key role in, in getting the band going too, right? Oh, yeah, a big role. She financed us for, for, our, for our first song, our first recording. Uh, Murray Wilson didn't believe, he didn't like, he didn't like rock and roll, I don't think. He was more of a, a Lawrence Well kind of guy, you know, he, he liked that that kind of accordion music and stuff. And so he wasn't really ready for it. And uh, so while he was away on vacation, uh, we auditioned for my mother and she forked over the, the money to, to uh, rent the equipment. Because we didn't even have a, all we had was a piano. So we had to, all of us had to learn to play instruments. Wow. As well. So that was quite a, yeah, she, she, she put her, best foot forward because if we hadn't returned that equipment she would have had to pay the deposit on it you know 300 bucks i think is what it was deposit which is a lot of money in those days so i should probably she should probably get some royalties for managing the band and you're playing stand-up bass on surfing right yeah so yeah i played stand-up uh upright bass um on the demos we also did demos for capital and and uh stuff like that so yeah that was my my role was picking up the bass guitar or a stand-up bass i mean and then uh we got signed on the basis of uh of that first recording uh and then the, and then we went electric after that at what point were the beach boys playing like as a band and and at what point were session musicians starting to be brought in around surf city janet Jan and dean surf city right around there that's when we were touring a lot by then on, on the hits, and Brian was staying home. And uh, he discovered that he didn't have to wait for us to come home anymore. <laughs> he could just, he was studio musicians. How did you feel about that? I, I felt great. That was fine with me. I was, I was beat up during 100 days a year, 150 days a year. Yeah, I was, I was delighted. You were used to singing in the ensemble, and and Brian said, "Hey, I got the song. Help me, Rhonda. You should sing this one." Were you were you happy about that? Were you nervous? Both. Yeah. Well, there's another day in the studio for me. I mean, it was it was a, a big deal because Murray and Murray was there, and he was still trying to produce the Beach Boys, and it got very contentious, and it was very, yeah, it was nerve wracking. That that particular session was nerve wracking. So was that the session for Help Me Rhonda on Beach Boys Today, the one with R-O-N-D-A, or is this the remake uh, that was the single with R-H-O-N-D-A? Oh, yeah, that, I'm talking about the remake, yeah. yeah that, that was the one, yeah, because that, that, was, that was a big day. <laughs> big day, all of, us, all of us in the studio, including Dennis. It was one of those uh, kind of old-fashioned recording sessions where everybody got in a room together and played and sang together it was a big day put it that way yeah and including family members so you, you, you know we weren't really ready for the uh production problem you know the, to have to worry about the politics of making it so that's that's probably the day brian became the actual producer because his father decided he wouldn't he wouldn't uh, interfere anymore like it's a great song in the first version you know it's kind of an album track and it doesn't really stand out and it has this goofy thing where the the volume is getting louder and then softer at the end and it seems, uh-huh. it seems like someone said "Lay, wait a minute this song deserves better let's let's remake it Darren Elcher called us and asked if he could record the song because he thought it was, was a hit single and that's how that happened 
and then uh, thankfully he, he he agreed not to record it and allowed us to re-record it. And I mean that that doesn't happen too often because usually the competition just goes ahead and does it, you know, and they don't care, you know, who wrote it or, or whatever. They they're just only interested in their own, you know, their own interests. But he actually he actually held off, and then we went in and did the single, and we had a number one hit with it. So thank you, Terry Melcher. Yeah, right. Back in 1965 or so, people, there were like a lot of covers of these songs. Kind of, you know, there would be like five different versions of Hey Joe out at the same time and stuff like that. Yeah, so. it, it, it was the white axe and the black axe. You know, the, the white guys, like, they, <laughs> they go right in and, and snatch away a, a number one hit from, from like, you know, from, well, like the, the, the four lads when they did, uh, well, the Shaboom. Oh, yeah. They, yeah, they covered Shaboom, the cats, something cats. Crew cats. Oh, crew cuts covered the cats. <laughs> and they got the number one record, right? So it was like, it kept happening to them, and, and Bill Haley would steal stuff from from the uh, Turner, to Big Joe Turner with Shake, Rattle, and Roll. So, yeah, people are, they're always stealing from one another, but, but Terry actually asked permission, which is pretty amazing when you think about yeah. it. Yeah. Well, yeah, and then you got to sing a number one hit, so that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. He always wanted to be one of the Beach Boys. He, he, always, he always wanted to be Brian Wilson. Let's put it that way. So, so who decided like who sang, who sang what at that point? Um, and, and, you know, just like either singing lead and also just like the different parts, like, would you guys work out the harmonies on your own? Or was Brian at that point saying, I want you to sing this and you sing this and Mike saying, well, wait, I want to sing. Already had it figured out. He, already, he already had it all figured out. He could hear my tone in his head. He's an amazing singer and arranger. And he, he knew the voices just like we all did. And, so he knew us better than we knew ourselves. So he, he knew I was going to sing that song. So he arranged it for me. And then uh, the backgrounds, that's one of the few songs I didn't sing backgrounds on, interestingly enough. I did the leads, and then the, the, then the boys would come in and do the background parts, and then we'd mix it all together. That's one time I got a little rest <laughs> on, the, on the background side. But, um, and Dennis sang the backgrounds and helped me Rhonda. Probably saying my part for all I know. Obviously, there was a lot going on with Brian at the time. And, you know, in the mid 60s, there wasn't that much understanding of, you know, men mental illness. Um, and so, on one hand, oh, yeah. you're just like, this guy's a genius. And on the other hand, you know, at some point, you realize that there's something going on with him that's, you know, maybe more serious than, you know, yeah. nerves or something like that. Like, sort of, when did it sort of sink in that that, that was an issue with him? Well, geez, I don't know. Uh, we were sitting together on a, a flight to, uh, uh, Houston uh, in uh, October 64 and and he had a, a he just had a nervous breakdown right right in front of me he just started kind of folding up you know just kind of becoming you know you could just tell he was just dealing with demons you know or whatever you want to call it his own demons and I realized he wasn't feeling feeling well or acting uh, well and so that's when I realized that you can tell when someone's having a breakdown let's put it that way and his mom flew out and the next day and picked him up and took him home. In general, do you feel like people sort of understood what was going on with him? Or is it more kind of looking back on it like, oh, this is, you know, it was a different time. And, you know, if we'd known then what we know now, you know, he, he, his situation might have been handled differently. I don't know if we, anybody could have known. I mean, it, it was just a day by day, you know, thing. And, and uh, he just didn't like the stress of touring and, and being out on the road. And we just thought it was normal. In, in that regard, a normal thing that some people are afraid of flying, you know, or don't, you know, don't 
Cole would rather be in the recording studio. So that's that's basically what we we thought at the time. Sure. But it was a progressive thing. You know, got this schizophrenia. I think that's the technical term. Uh, is 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 difficult to. It doesn't seem to get better. It just starts to. It progressively continues. So we didn't know that at the time, of course. So we're right. You know, we're all learning as we go along. And but now, uh, ironically, Ryan loves being on the road. This is this is where he'd rather be. He's traveling with with his with the band that that he created. This incredible touring band of his. Yeah, I was so, going to ask you about that later. Like just the sort of this transition where like now he's the one who over the last twenty something years he's been really on the road and getting so much out of that. And uh, and that's certainly a big switch from those early days. Yeah, isn't that amazing? Yeah, you never say never, right? It's just incredible. So you all were touring when he was basically laying down the tracks and coming up with um, Pet Sounds. What was what was your first uh, impression when you heard those songs? Pretty amazing and uh, a little bewildered because it was quite off the track for what you know, our style. But what we were doing up to that point, we didn't have much time to think about it because we were in the studio the next day and uh, singing and rewriting things. So it's uh, yeah, it was pretty pretty challenging. Was that a difficult record to record? Um, I mean, obviously, a lot of oh, the internal yeah. stuff was done, but those, but those, like when you listen to, I, I'd gotten, of course, the Pet Sounds box, and it has a disc of just the vocals isolated, and you realize just how amazing those those vocal arrangements are. They're so intricate, and there's so much going on, and they're beautiful. Yeah, if you listen to the 40th anniversary box set, you'll you'll hear that uh, all those, uh, yeah, the acapella sections, yeah, right. they're amazing. Even to me, and I was there. <laughs> you know, I'm going. How did we do that? It's amazing. At at our wedding, God only knows it was our first song. Oh man, jeez. Well, uh, yeah, that's that's a pretty good one to have at your wedding. <laughs> Yeah, it's, yeah it's, we, uh, I mean, it starts off with a line I may not always love, you, and you're like, "What?" But you know, no, that's a beautiful song, and you know, we're still here, so so it's 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 work. But it's such a gorgeous, beautiful love song, and oh, yeah. uh, I I agree with it Paul McCartney that it's one of the best of all time. Yeah, I do too. I do too. It's, it's got all the elements, and uh, he was uh, he was on fire. It helped. He didn't have to be on the road to do that. So he was able to enjoy the comforts of, of home and, and, and go in and record the music. So it worked out for everybody. Right. And then the smile became even more of a production. And, you know, I'd, I'd seen the footage of, you know, the, the, the players performing fire with like the wood smoking and the, but I hadn't heard that story that you told on your tour about vegetables where like he just basically cleared out the produce section of a, of a supermarket. Yeah. He, he um, he owned a health food store, uh, or, or yeah, or co-owned one with somebody, and 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 he's into health food, and he just decided to write a song about vegetables. <laughs> you know, he was getting pretty far out at that time, and, and uh, I thought it was charming as hell. I, I liked it a lot. But we could never seem to finish it. It had so many beginnings and endings. It was, you know, it was during that time when I think he was starting to, you know, go down the, the black, what do you call the hole, the rabbit hole. Right. <laughs> you know, we, we had a lot of beginnings and endings that never it turned into songs. In fact, you'll, see, you'll hear some of those on the Feel Flows album that we just released. Right. Um, it, 
just and on this upcoming one in November, there's there's another batch of unfinished things. But it's pretty fascinating. But he'd actually spread that all over the studio. I don't know. If, I don't know about the, the sloshing around in the studio, but that's what the the recording engineer. I wasn't at that tracking session, but uh, the the video that you saw uh, shows the recording engineer talking about the. Sloshing around in vegetables. I, I didn't go to that tracking session, so I can't comment. And there was this debate on yeah. whether Paul McCartney is chomping celery in the smiley smile version or the smile one, or whether he was there but didn't actually chomp celery. That's a good question because I I, I don't recall Paul doing any any chomping on celery, but but that could have happened uh, after I left. <laughs> you know, sometimes sometimes uh, you know the, the singers. Me in particular, because I, I was singing the lead and, and, and filling up water bottles and trying to finish the song. I, I, I tuned up some water bottles and, and made a little calliope. But after a while, you go, well, we'll go home and Brian will hang back and, and do a little mix. And Paul was there. They very, very well could have added something after I left. How did the band change after Smile? I think that's a really interesting period of albums, like right after Smile, where they were sort of overlooked, but you got Wild Honey and Friends and 2020 and Sunflower, you know, and then even, you know, into Surf's Up and even Holland. I mean, there's a lot of really great stuff on those records and and there's a little bit more sort of democratic sort of feel of, of maybe everyone pitching in a little bit more at that point. Yeah, Brian started to retreat when the rest of us came came forward to fill in the, the holes, uh, the vacuum, I should say. You know, we were all writing and producing and arranging, and yeah, it was great, and we had a lot of fun. And, and, and every once in a while, Brian would come out with something extraordinary. Uh, one thing I'm thinking of is uh, Till I Die, the song. That song you know, I walked is in one day, and he, and he had already finished it. The, the, well, actually, he asked me to sing on it, come to think of it. But all of us sang. Uh, he already had done the track. We, I didn't even know the song existed. And then we did the track in about a couple hours. And I'm going, where the heck did where did this come from? You know, I mean, it's so mature. And so he was still expressing his personal angst with that one in particular. And I said, Brian, we're this is amazing. I mean, where did this come from? And and and, and so on and forth. And. Uh, he just kind of looked at me and said, well, you know, I just felt like doing it. It was one of those moments of pure genius. And none of us rehearsed any of this stuff. We just walked in and just sang it. You know, it sounds like a, a major production, but it, because most of the stuff is pretty simple on, on those albums, you know, other than if you don't count Surf's Up. But, right. you know, there's most of them are pretty, you know, pretty easy. But this one has really interesting uh, chord progressions, and uh, it's very haunting. That's it. That's the word I was looking for. Very haunting and very mature and very, very existentially amazing. You know, so deep for a young for young guys to be doing that kind of music. And that's why I think the Beach Boys probably didn't didn't really surf, uh, continue to be so popular because our music changed so drastically into personal into a personal message. You know particularly where Brian's concerned, it, it got pretty, pretty deep. Yeah. How deep is the ocean? You know? <laughs> yeah. I'm a leaf on a windy day. I mean, that's like, Oh, oh yeah. The whole thing is amazing. I mean, it's, it's like, where did that come from? 
But no, I mean, it's he, a... he's obviously was very exploring his own, doing his own psychoanalysis in a way. Yeah, and it's a gorgeous song, it's and it's so it, it's so. And if you want to sort of very and heartbreaking, and uh, yeah, it's great. I think that's what makes the Beach Boys so great artistically and maybe made it more challenging for you guys on a marketing standpoint is that i think that commercially you, you were so associated I know that's the thing but, but, i mean i mean your name's the beach boys you're associated with these you know, <laughs> up-tempo songs and and yeah, yet, exactly. you know, like the, the but the master but like pet sounds is this masterpiece and it's just like i remember i got pet sounds when i was in college and i thought oh i don't i don't know if i really get this and then i was like like a couple years out of college and i put it on and i was like oh i was living alone i didn't know what i was doing yep. everything was very uncertain yep. and that that and that album hit me so hard like oh i get it now and 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 the stuff <laughs> that, there's, there's so much that's like deep in there but then there's also yeah, that you know want to be playing be true to your school yeah it's, a, it's an interesting contrast diverse. and it seems like it's sort of the you know yeah. in, in a way it's been sort of boiled down to like the tension between like the mike love cheerful part and the brian angsty part yeah yeah i think you're right yeah brian uh, mike mike just wants to stay positive and and continue to to uh to sing sing fun music but it didn't get it wasn't very positive after that <laughs> Yeah, well, the two schools of music had a parting of the ways, sort of that way. You know, I, I think there's room for both points of view in one band. And uh, unfortunately, we didn't have that opportunity because he didn't want to uh, to have a, a reunion. Yeah, you guys had that reunion, uh, what was that, like 2010 or something like that? And uh, and you made, and you made oh, the... Uh, yeah, you had the, that. That's why God made the radio, 2012, and and then and and then it seemed like it just sort of ended, and then he sort of went out without you guys. And I'm like, well, that seems like a cheat. Like, like for fans, like you, you like you wanted to see everyone together. I didn't. And and yeah. and frankly, when I've seen you play in Brian's band, and I saw you guys at Ravinia a few years ago, several years ago now, um, and Blondie Chaplin was in that, and uh, David Marks was in the band. I felt like that was like the Beach Boys reunion I wanted to see because you're playing the songs I wanted yeah. to hear, and you were the members that I wanted to see. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you missed the membership part. Yeah, exactly. The fans wanted that too. Oh, well, I know what it is. Yeah, because recently it sounded like you were talking about maybe there being some sort of 60th reunion, but uh, obviously that hasn't happened. Yeah, I kind of thought so. Uh, there's there's some plans to do a some kind of a an event somewhere. Um, yeah, we'll see. We'll just uh, time will tell. You know, the fans want to see Brian. They want to see you, and uh, you know the the sort of the idea of the Beach Boys going on as that. It's just Mike Love and I don't know. It's a shame. I think so too, but I don't have any. I don't have any say in it. Nor does Brian. When so when you guys uh, were actually doing that reunion tour, did it feel like you were all sort of united, or did it feel like still factions? Like there was the Mike side and the, you know, like Mike and Bruce on one side and the other guys on the other side. Like how how together were you all at that point? It felt pretty good actually. It wasn't. It wasn't any kind of rivalry or anything. No, we all. That's why I thought we could do it again in, uh, this year. I didn't see why that shouldn't be able to been repeated. But uh, I guess our new management wasn't able to put it together. Anyway, but I enjoy. I'm, I'm enjoying uh, Postcard from California, which uh, you you redo some of the songs uh, that you'd done originally, like California Saga, California, which is you know an excellent song, um, and I love the original of it. And then on this version, you got Neil Young 
duetting with you on it, which is pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, he, I, I showed him the lyrics and he kind of liked it. He thought it kind of it worked. That that was that was good enough for me, you know. And uh, getting his attention. Uh, and uh, and and particularly uh, David Crosby, his voice is so beautiful; it fit in everywhere. And uh, and and Stills, and and also my sons Matthew and Adam were my my real Beach Boys. They they, they sang all the backgrounds and everything. So I, I was very fortunate uh, to have them in the picture. But all those great artists doing their their cameos. Holy crap! I still can't believe it myself. When I hear the the, the what they call the, the the link fire link, you know what that is. The Firelink is that that little digital advertisement that UMG puts out for people to okay. buy the record. Got it. That's a, a, a we call it a link, Firelink, I think. When I heard all the samples, I was blown away because it gives you a little sample of everything, uh, a little digital sample, and then you decide if you want to buy it or not. Like those all the platforms, whatever you call them, and. Uh, I'm going, holy crap, <laughs> that's really an amazing album. Even, you know, here I am talking about my own project that I kind of, frankly, just forgot about because nothing ever happened with it you know, when it was released. So I just thought, well, maybe it wasn't good enough. But now that I hear it professionally distributed, I'm going, jeez, this is good, powerful stuff. And it's, it's pretty good. Good as any of the Beach Boy things we've done, I think. So anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of it. I like that version of Help Me Rhonda too. It's like a slightly different arrangement. You've got Steve Miller on there. There's this big harmonica solo and it's yeah. not like just trying to do it exactly the way it was done. It's sort of taking it somewhere different, but it's still obviously the that same great song. Well, I just let him do it the way he heard it. I didn't I didn't try to tell him to do anything different. <laughs> I probably should have <laughs> when I listened to it. But but Steve, you know, he, he just had a certain take on it. And I thought, well, that's fine with me, you know. And uh it, it, it's it's the only song in the album that really doesn't fit there because it's not it's not you know, it's it's more of a well, it's just a, an oddball to have on that album because the album's really more about the uh, life experience on the central coast of California, right. you know. And uh, that doesn't actually fit there, but it is what it is. Uh, and I like Steve. He's a great guy, and he really helped. He, 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 he took his, he diverted his plane, his private plane, to come to Big Sur to, 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 to do it. Isn't that nice? Wow. He actually took it, you know, and that's, that's a big deal. <laughs> when someone takes, you know, a day out of their life to help you, uh, you know, finish an album, that's, we all, everybody, America and Crosby and all those guys and I even got I even I had to go down and get Steve Stills because he just had an operation. Uh, he was he was he was great. Brian was great. He came up. I mean, it's a whole whole slew. I can't even remember everybody. Uh, wow. Yeah, it's, Glenn it's, it's, Campbell. Holy oh, crap! Glenn, yeah, Glenn Campbell, right on the right, right at the start on your title he track. He walked to the studio. He walked over. <laughs> So they walked from his hotel and then on to, and then went on to rehearsal for a show that night at, at uh, the Golden State Theater in Monterey. I mean, everybody was just amazing. When it, and David Marks, he came and added a, a guitar solo on, on, on a song called Driving. It's just, it just goes on and on. I'm, I'm stunned by it, really. Because this is 10 years later now, I'm getting a second shot. You don't often get a second chance on anything. <laughs> so here I have a major label distributing this thing again the, the correct way and it's it's a mind blower 
I'm pretty lucky. Well, and, and it's interesting too, because uh, yeah, it's called Postcard from California and it's a very aptly named album because it sounds like California and, and, and in a way you guys have sort of defined California music so much. And so like what, what, what the album sounds like is what we associate musically with that, that state. It's kind of my folk album, really, when you think about it. It actually sounds more like folk music than it does anything else when I think about it. Except for the cool guitar playing. Some of the electric guitar solos are amazing. And um, one of my favorite songs, actually, is the Campfire song with Neil Neil and the guys, uh, Crosby and, the, and, and, and Matt and Adam Jardine, singing. They sound like they're working on a chain gang, you know, with the, with the big sledgehammer. And that starts the whole song, the California Saga uh, series right there. And you feel like you're actually on the chain gang. Well, it's, not chain it, gang, it's wrong word, a railroad gang. At you the know, campfire. Big old clanking hammer. Sure. It's, just, it's got a lot of mood, a lot of mood changes. And uh, I like a little bit of the off-harmony singing that normal people do not perfect and, and it's fitting that like with with a lot of us like the music that we loved as kids it never leaves us and and you know you were you were in the beach boys and you came to it as a folk guy and you know did surf yeah. music and these you know rock songs and did these you know gorgeous harmony ballads and and all of that but but obviously you you recorded cotton fields and sang lead on that which was more folky you brought sloop john b in even though Brian went and rearranged it in this this brilliant, unexpected way. Yeah, well, that, that was an amazing. Yeah, so the, yeah, so each one of us kind of contributed to the uh, the overall career. You know, it's more of a career now than it is anything. She's sixty years worth. Can you believe it? When, when you originally brought in Sloop John B, how did you imagine that sounding on a Beach Boys record? Uh, a lot of harmony. Like we did, yeah, and I, and I extended the, uh, the 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 verses to include another uh, an additional chord change that would give us rich harmony. And Brian produced it; he produced those harmonies beautifully, and uh, um, it's exactly what I thought it would be. When when you came back and you heard the 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 instrumental arrangement that he'd come up with, were you kind of blown away? Oh yeah, I was in, I was like, on Brian, this is amazing! I couldn't didn't even envision that that kind of. Uh, uh, well, but he had again. He had the wrecking crew there. See, if we had done it, <laughs> it, would have, it wouldn't have sounded that way. But yeah, I'd have, I'd have given a more softer, you know, a little more soft approach, and a bit more traditional. But no, he he uh, he had that, that great Carol Kay on bass, that bass part. Oh man, yeah. There's some. It's called production. You know, Brian is a brilliant producer, and. Uh, I didn't too bad do too bad myself on the arrangement, but uh, it, it's just it was a masterpiece. So we've had folk music, we got doo wop, we got some of, most of us love doo wop, and so we have some great doo wop stuff, and you know it just never ends. I mean we could keep going if we wanted to, which probably should, but you know it takes a focus. You have to be focused and have to want to do it. But uh, I've got a great recording studio here that's not being utilized properly, so I should get the guys together again. But we'll see. I got a lot of bits and pieces left that I need to finish too. At what point did you feel like the Beach Boys as a band, like the, you guys actually playing together sort of peaked? Like what was, you know, where you know, we have Dennis on drums and 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 you guys like playing live and everything. What was sort of the pinnacle of the, the Beach Boys band? Uh, 1980s, I think, uh, were a great band. A really great band in the early 80s. Late 70s, early 80s. Yeah, we had, we had a really good band. 
Dennis was on drums in 78, 79, 80, right until he passed. It was just up to 83, December of 83. It was great. What was so great about it? Everybody, everything. Jeez, uh, I had a hit record. I, I had a hit record in, in Europe with, uh, with with the band called Lady Linda. Right. And because uh, we were kind of had a dearth of, of, of single success, you know, anymore. And uh, Come Go With Me, the little Galvaki doo-wop song that, that I arranged and produced, uh, that was a hit. So that was a great, great period of time for me. If you had to sort of go back and like listen to the music of any sort of era, what would it be? Or perform it for that matter. Oh, the fifties. I love the fifties. The, the doo-wop stuff. That stuff you grew up with is what never leaves you. And same with Brian. When we're on the bus, all he does is he just tunes in on the he just tunes in on all the fifties and sixties stuff. And uh, uh, you know you can't yeah it never leaves you. Because the, the harmonies are rich and the songs are rich with humor and fun. A lot of the songs are, are, are just the doo-wop stuff, especially is just fun. You know, it's like fun music. It's not not angry. You know, like you know, sometimes you hear music now. It's a little bit angry. You know, because people are frustrated. You know, hip hop a little bit. You know, a little bit angry stuff. And I just want to be. I just want to have fun right now in my listening to music. And my wife helps me. She helps me a lot because she she's, she has taught me to enjoy the 70s decades of music, which I kind of had tuned out on because uh, I wasn't interested in changing my my playlist, you know. But boy, she, she, well, there are so many great bands from the 70s. So what's, I, what's I stuff from the 70s? So what are you listening to from that? Oh, well, Fleetwood Mac and especially, you know, the girls uh, in Fleetwood Mac, this stuff. Right. We went. And we met Stevie up at a, in a concert. She was opening up for uh, for uh, in Oakland for um, a Tom Petty, and so we, we went backstage and met Tom and Stevie. And she was playing Beach Boy music on her. She was making up for the show. She was playing Sail on Sailor. I love that. You know? I love that song. That was a nice. And, and Lindsey Buckingham yeah. certainly influenced by the Beach Boys and Brian, um, and you know just oh, God, the yeah. production and everything else. I mean, like he's an amazing guitar player, but use of harmonies and just yeah. production stuff. Um, you know, they, they, the, you know, Fleetwood Mac, you know, helped redefine California music as well. So there's sort of a continuum there. Oh yeah. No kidding. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's, yeah, everybody influences everybody else in, in one way or another. Just amazing stuff. But yeah, I, I, I began to appreciate the seventies, you know, along with, you know, the Grateful Dead, even though we were mortal enemies for a while. That's according to the press anyway. We you know, they they had they had such a following. And their music was even though their guitar solos were a little long, they they contributed a lot to to the musical lexicon of California, you know. It's amazing stuff that if you, if you hang around long enough you can appreciate it, you know. Uh, at least I have. Have you have you heard various bands? Like I could put together a really good compilation of sort of bands doing their sort of Beach Boy style songs. Like like REM has a song called "At My Most Beautiful," which is totally you know something yeah. like they were they were listening to Pet Sounds when they wrote it. You heard uh, stuff uh, like that, and are you uh, you know entertained by it if you have? Oh yeah, I don't listen to contemporary music much. So. I don't really even know what's going on in that regard, but you know, 
yeah, it's a compliment. So, and finally, how do you keep your voice in such great shape? Because I was really impressed with your your singing uh, at that city winery show, and uh, you know, you must be doing something right. I don't know. My speaking voice seems to be kind of kind of uh, on a wane, but my singing voice is really good. I don't know why. I have no idea. But um, uh, maybe too much coffee. Uh, maybe I mean not too much. Enough coffee to keep it going. I don't know. I don't drink a lot of water. I know I'm always told I should drink more water, but um, no, I don't do. I don't warm up. Actually, uh, I warm up speaking because my concerts are, are, are based around these the stories. Uh, so I'm, I kind of warm up as I go along. Um, as I speak and and explore the how we make our songs, you know, and where they came from and how we produce the songs, and that helps that helps a little bit. But it, it, it's nice to be able to sing, uh, uh, be a lead singer on songs that I was a background singer as well. So I'm able to sing the lead. Mike's leads were in the uh, more of the baritone, uh, well, mid, mid range, to put it that way. And he also did baritone, obviously. Uh, that was his strength. So I, I can pick up my leads really easily uh, just because, well, because they're in my range. And maybe that's what it is. But thank right. you. Right. And then you've you got your son, Matt, who can do those Brian high notes so beautifully. Oh, and he does Brian. So I'm doing Mike and, and, and Matt's doing Brian. It's a perfect match. Boy, does he ever sing. <laughs> His version of Surf's Up is beyond real. It's, uh, oh, that's, yeah, that was gorgeous. Probably. I'm always tempted to call Van Dyke. I think I may after we can hang up and, and thank him for that, uh, for his lyrics. They're so artful. They don't have meaning. They just have beauty in them. You know, they're like, it's like poem. It's poem. They're poems set to music. Right. Yeah. The stuff that I've read or seen, you know, Mike Love was, he was bothered by that. He didn't understand those lyrics without the party. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, I know. What does this mean? What is this? And Bandai goes, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You just, you're not supposed to have to think about it or something like that. Yeah, I think it was like, I think it was like over, over and over the crow flies uncover the cornfield. How is that? And from Cabin Essence, I think, oh my and, and and he was complaining about like, what does that mean? As a listener to music, I never felt the need to decipher everything. So I kind of thought it was pretty obvious myself that we're talking about the the, the, the westward expansion, aren't we? And the railroad, right. and uh, yeah, I kind of to me it was beautiful optics. You know, I have in fact I have a demo of that. We used to make vinyl demos after we'd leave the studio if we wanted to take something home to study it. You know, and we'd actually sit there and wait for them to cut a record. An actual vinyl record wow. our, our, our recordings so I, I that was one of my favorite demos just hearing the guys singing that uh this chorus on, on uh cabin essence oh my god yeah we actually the guy would cut a lay they had a lathe in the, the columbia records in a, a special room with to, to make dubs because we didn't have tape at the time we didn't have we didn't have what do you call it cassettes. That was the next medium after after uh, after what we call uh, dub d u b dubs. As they call them, and then we they have a, an aluminum backing in them. They actually have aluminum vinyl on aluminum, if you can believe that. So it would, they would never bend or break. Right. It's quite you know I've got a box full of those. Wow. And, uh, they're fun to go through. That could be your next release is going through all that stuff. Cause that sounds amazing. So, Oh yeah. I put all the demos on a 
on a CD. That's interesting. A CD, hell, that's not even happening. I don't even know what we would put it on. You know, you put it well, on. You I'm put vinyl. it on vinyl again. Everyone's back at on vinyl. So you you go you put it back that's a on good vinyl. Idea. Put vinyl back. All right. But I then who would own it? Would I, would I own it or would? With the oh. Publisher. <laughs> oh, yeah. Would you have to start fighting with lawyers about all of it? That's interesting. Just if it's a different, they would be different iterations. So it wouldn't be the original. I mean, it wouldn't be what came out on the on the LPs. You know what I mean? The, the different yeah. versions of the same. Stuff. All right. Well, we'll right, figure it out right. well, next time. We see you. Well, all thank right. you so much. It's really been a pleasure talking to you, and obviously listening wow, to you. Yeah. Okay. Well, so. thank you for the good interview. That's all for episode 52 of Carol Pop. Thanks so much to Al Jardine for sharing his memories and stories of the Beach Boys and beyond. His album, A Postcard from California, is now available via Universal Music and can be streamed just about anywhere. Al Jardine's family and friends with Carney Wilson and Matt Jardine are playing at the Cerritos Center for the Arts in Cerritos, California on October 21st. There are also early December dates for his endless summer band in Nashville, Cincinnati, and Clermont, Florida. Go to aljardine.com for more information. Also, look for upcoming tour dates with Brian Wilson's band. Carol Pop has been produced this entire year by Chris Swake, who always knows there's an answer. I'm Mark Caro. Please follow me on Twitter at Mark Caro at M-A-R-K-C-A-R-O and visit the Carol Pop website, carolpop.com, for posts about music, movies, and food, and also this Carol Pop podcast. Please share, subscribe, and tune in again next week as we start year two of these Carol Pop conversations. Thanks.